sometimes people will recognize you, but generally, unless you have a plan for really bringing attention to what you've contributed, it gets lost. Hello and welcome to the Medical Women podcast, the podcast from the Medical Women's Federation, the largest body of women doctors in the UK. I'm Dr. Nathana Bayankaram, I'm the Vice President of MWF, and I have the honour and joy of being your host, as each week we hear from wonderful guests to help you feel more empowered and confident on your medical career journey. Hello everyone, I hope that you're all keeping well, and for those of you in the UK, I hope you enjoyed the bank holiday weekend that we've just had. I can't quite believe that it's May already and the podcast is already three months old. Um, Thank you for continuing to listen and I am so glad that we've managed to reach so many medical women all over the world. I hope that all of you are feeling more confident in using your voices to speak up after last week's episode. This week I have another best-selling author joining me. Sally Helgeson is one of the two authors of the book How Women Rise – Break the 12 Habits Holding You Back. In this conversation, Sally discusses several of the habits and her advice for how we can overcome them. We didn't get to speak about all 12 of the habits, so I'm going to go through them now. They are reluctance to claim your achievements, expecting others to spontaneously notice and reward your contributions, overvaluing expertise, building rather than leveraging relationships, failing to enlist allies from day one, putting your job before your career, the perfection trap, the disease to please, minimizing, too much, and ruminating. So from the research that Sally and her co-author have done, they found that these are the most common habits um, that they come across from women in the workplace who then come across barriers. So I don't know about you, but I recognize a lot of those habits in myself. Um, And I've spoken uh, before in a previous episode about my disease to please. I am a recovering people pleaser. Now, I do want to say, you know, it says the 12 things holding women back. It's not at all about trying to blame women here. There are structural factors that hold women back in their careers. And so um, the reason that I wanted to do this episode was because I want us to understand these habits that we might have picked up. Um, So we can see where we might be contributing to the systemic barriers and then we can learn how to do our bit to break them down. So I hope that you really enjoy this episode and I look forward to seeing and supporting every medical woman to rise in her career. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Medical Women podcast. And I'm really excited today to be speaking with Sally Helgeson. Hello, Sally. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here with you. Uh, so Sally, I'm going to ask Sally to, um, to introduce herself to us. All right. I'm Sally Helgeson. I'm an author, speaker, and uh, my field of expertise for the last 32 years has been women's leadership. I've written seven books in the field, and uh, I do a lot of speaking workshops uh, all around the world and also some coaching. So the coaching and the workshops uh, inform one another and also inform the books. And the most recent book that I wrote, co-authored with um, my colleague, Marshall Goldsmith, is called How Women Rise. And it's about the habits and behaviors 
most likely to get in the way of successful women as they seek to move to the next level in their careers. And the resonance of this book around the globe has, has really startled me. We have sold it in 19 languages. We've been a bestseller in, in lots of places I would never have expected. And um, I think it, it was good timing and the habits in the book really seem to resonate uh, in cultures around the globe. Yes, absolutely. And it's it was reading this book that um, that made me contact Sally and say we must have you on the podcast because reading through the the twelve habits, I was either recognizing that yes, I do these, or I know people who do these. And the Medical Women's Federation is all about helping women in their, in their on their careers journeys. Um, so women rising up is absolutely um, what we're what we're here to do. And Sally, just uh, tell us where you're dialing in from today. I'm in the Hudson Valley, which is about a hundred, uh, a little more than a hundred miles north of New York City. So we've got plenty of uh, snow. It's it's pretty frozen, um, but it's always beautiful up here. Oh, lovely! Well, I think you're you're the first person on the podcast to be speaking to us uh, from outside the UK. So uh, so it's it's really uh, extra special to to have you. So so in terms of the twelve habits. As, as we were speaking before we started recording, it's, it's difficult to go through all 12 habits um, in, a, in a podcast. So I definitely recommend um, everybody have, have a look at the book. But are there specific habits that you've noticed that keep coming up again and again? Sure. You know, and it's easy for me to evaluate that because when I do uh, programs that are 90 minutes or less, I always send the client out. Uh, a list of the behaviors and ask them to internally poll their women to see which ones they most identify with. So a couple of them, no matter where I am, and this is, as as I said before, very global, and it's become more global, of course, since the uh, pandemic, Pandemic. because I don't need to travel. Um, So I can be in Nigeria in the morning and Sao Paulo in the afternoon. But it's pretty consistent um, what I hear there are a few of those habits. There are two habits that go together. One is reluctance to claim your achievements. And the other is expecting others to spontaneously notice and value your contributions. These come up over and over and over. And you can see to some extent, I mean, really very much how they go together. You feel uncomfortable talking about what you contributed you feel awkward about it. You may have seen it badly done. I've had women say, well, if I have to be like that jerk (laughs) to get noticed around here, no, thank you. Um, You don't wanna take attention away from your team. So rather than try to figure out a good way to get recognized for what you're contributing, kind of expect others or hope others will really notice that and value it. And the problem is with that is it, doesn't often happen. Sometimes people will recognize you, but generally, unless you have a plan for really bringing attention to what you've contributed, it gets lost. And the reason it's so important to address this is that if, if, if you don't, you come in time to feel underrecognized and undervalued. And this can cause you to disengage from your work. 
because you feel like it's all happening and nobody knows what you're doing. And it's very hard to remain engaged in that kind of situation. So in order to really keep that motivation up, uh, the love for your job or what originally impelled you to get into your career in the first place, it's really important that you find a way to, to get noticed and that you don't expect others to, because that also will put a burden on you of feeling you know, to some extent, just like, like disrespect it, I would say. Yep. Um, and, you know, I really liked in, you, you mentioned in the book that sometimes we have this either, or we think, oh, either I can, I can be modest and I can be nice and I can get on with my job, or I can be somebody who goes out there and talks about their successes. But actually, why, why can't we be both things? Why do we have to be either, either or? So I thought that was really interesting in the book. It's really true that I've, that either or just does not is not a very helpful frame. Um, and two things I find uh, helpful. One relates to that exactly. Uh, one thing is to use the language of contribution rather than achievement, because this is often something women stumble over. You know, I don't want to take credit for that. They've seen people say, "Oh, you know, I achieved this. I met this benchmark. I did this, whatever." But when you're able to articulate it as contribution, that embeds it in the larger effort. So it's, it feels less as if you're bragging or being self-serving. And the other thing is adopting that language gives you a way to work around that either or of the team or me. Because you can always say, instead of you know, be like, well, I, you know, we work around in a team. We work as a team around here. So I feel if I talk about what I did, that it'll take away from the team, but not at all. You can always say, you know, our team was able to do this. We achieved this. Here were, you know, some of the outcomes or in terms of uh, patient satisfaction, client satisfaction, whatever. And this was my contribution. So you're embedding what you've contributed within that larger effort. And it has a lot of advantages, but one is that, that in my observation, women tend to be more comfortable using that kind of language. So it gives you a bit of a path forward and out of that feeling like if I'm going to be talking about my achievements, I'm going to be like, you know, the most unattractive person I can think of who does that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another one of the habits that I think really resonated with me was the one where it said, um, don't, don't focus on your job at the expense of your career. And I think the reason that one really resonated is because as junior doctors, we, we rotate around. So every six months we'll, we'll work in one hospital in a job and then you'll rotate somewhere else for six months. Um, and it's very easy when you're on these really busy rotors and things to get really focused on doing a good job and providing a good service in that six months. Um, but it was interesting reading the book and thinking, yes, actually, okay, yes, in that six months, I want to do everything I can to help in that department that I'm working in. But I also have to think about my own long-term career trajectory. So I was wondering if you can speak a little bit about, about that habit. Certainly. And this is, the, this is another one that is extremely common and comes up and is often a surprise to people because they haven't thought of it that much. Do I put my job before my career? So when you're putting your job before your career, you're investing all your energy 
in trying to do the best job that you possibly can, every detail of it in the job you have. And it's often in the belief that if you are, if you do that, it will be noticed, of course, but also that that will lead you to uh, a promotion or to the position you want. And it often doesn't work out that way. And the reason I believe it doesn't is that most successful careers in my observation are really built on three legs. One is expertise, that is the skill you develop and how well you employ it. So that has to do with your present job. But the other two are always connections and visibility. And when you are completely focused on the job you have, you are only focused on usually on building that expertise. So you feel like in order to do a good job, you have to spend all your time doing that and that doesn't leave you the energy to really think about cultivating the relationships that you will need in order to get noticed and, and, and achieve, you know, really act on your full potential over the course of your career and the visibility that you need, which of course relationships are key to that. So it's really very important uh, to think of that always in terms of balance. How am I investing in you know, the job, but also investing in my visibility and the relationships that will be helpful to me going forward? So it's, it's thinking in a strategic sense, even when you know, your energy is heavily consumed by the job you have. Where does this fit in? How does this relate? How is this teaching me where I think my fullest potential lies? There's one other thing about this habit is, and this is really operates strongly for women, uh, especially if there's some discretion about whether you stay in the job or leave it. And that is um, women can end up making themselves invaluable because they pour so much energy into the job they have. So it can make um, those around them reluctant for them to move on because they've benefited so much from that. And this can re also uh, result in women becoming, feeling so loyal to either their boss or their team that they don't want to move on because they feel like, what would they do without me? You know, they, they, they've heard back, you contribute so much to this job, but that can keep you stuck. So it's always helpful to be aware of that. Yeah, and it was really interesting um, reading about that in the, in the book, because when there were examples where women had been told that um, you're indispensable and somebody else was going to offer you a job, but I didn't want to let you go because we can't manage without you. Um, and the women themselves saying, oh, actually, it took me a good six months to realize that this was a bad thing. I thought, oh, wow, finally, I'm getting some validation in this job. People are appreciating me. And then they realized, oh, hang on a second. If they want me stuck in this job, then that's fine. But I want to progress as well. Um, and I guess something that links in with that is also uh, another one of the habits, the disease to please, which I think lots of us have um and just wanting to to please everybody and make everybody happy which which can be really really difficult when you're trying to make your patients happy and the patient's family happy and then all of your colleagues happy that 
um, you end up having this like disease to please for everybody. I wonder if you have any top tips for how we can overcome that. Oh, sure. And, and in fact, this is very, very common in the, in the um, health services field, this disease to please. Certainly because people get into it for often for altruistic reasons, because they want to help people, they want to serve people. So they're good people. And, and this is something that's very important about all these habits, all 12 habits in the book. They're not bad habits. They're habits that may have served you earlier in your career, but then can become problematic if you remain too loyal to these habits. And disease to please is a classic one. There are two habits in the book that I think of when I do workshops, I, I put all 12 habits into different sort of buckets so that we can deal with habits that reflect the same thing. And with the disease to please and with, um, with, a, with a perfection trap. They're both the habits that are most toxic as you get into leadership. They can serve you quite well earlier in your career. The issue with the disease to please, how it manifests, is that you privilege, you put making sure that everybody else is happy over your being able to, you know, sometimes fulfill your career, move on in your career, I've met people who have the disease to please who are still doing part of the job from the job they used to have because the, the customers, the patients, the patients' families, actually the example in the book has to do with a woman and her patients' families, um, didn't want to let them go. So they had a new job, but they were still involved with uh, the people from before because the people from before they wanted to please them. And this is no way to really live or run a career because it makes it very difficult to assert your boundaries because you fear that someone somewhere may be disappointed. Uh, and it's really important for us as we move through life to deal with other people being disappointed and often to give them time to get over it. So what I find most helpful for people that have the disease to please is to really practice so you can get in the habit of when you want to say no, just say no. Just say no, not no long explanation, no, you know, I'm sorry, but, or I'd really love to do that. You see the issue is whatever. That's what people who have the disease to please often do, um, but not, not, a, not abrupt and not briskly, but if there's a request, you know, say, let me think about it for a moment. You know, that may not please the person. They may just be trying to get it off their plate. Let me think about it for a moment, then really analyze whether this is something you can do, something you can take on, ask someone else, you know, I've been asked to do this. What do you think? I'm really overextended right now. And half the time that other person will say, are you kidding? Don't even think about it. So ask someone else, give yourself time. And then when you set, when you decline, just don't over explain, just say, thank you for the offer, but I'm not going to be able to do that. So once you get in the habit of practicing that, that's, that's a that's a habit that acts contrary to all the impulses of a pleaser. It also helps to set some time boundaries 
around what you do. And um, it's very important to deal with because if you're in a leadership position, you can really run into trouble with this habit. You can end up doing other people's work for them because they would be unhappy or they seem upset or you know whatever, whatever that is, you end up making a lot of excuses for other people taking their work on. And it's very easy to get overwhelmed, to get burnt out. And especially now <laughs> when burnout is such a factor. Yep, absolutely. Um, you you touched on there kind of how how we can overcome it and just starting off small and then practicing. Um, and I really liked in the book, you know, after you talk about the 12 habits, there's then the the tips on on ways to move forward. So I wonder if we can if we can touch um, touch on that. Oh, sure. But let me let me. Um, there was one other thing I was going to say that's really important is that. Individually, this is a habit that, like perfectionism that we can address ourselves. We can work to get better at it, but it's also cultural. And we always wanna ask ourselves, am I part of the problem? Am I, uh, am I judging women who are not pleasers as being you know, overly brusque or overly careerist or whatever? And we want to think about the ways in which the culture may be supporting perfection and pleasing among women. So uh, more than any of the issues in this, in, 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 of any of the 12 habits, I'd say this one is both personal and cultural. So it's, it's good to be aware of that. So I yeah. just wanted to add that. Yeah, th uh, thank you for adding that, because I think that's so important. And I think you know, with the, with the book as well, yes, it's, it's 12 habits, but it's not kind of saying, you know, women are at fault here because they're doing these habits. It's collectively, we can all work together to change the systems, but individually we each control our own behavior. So let's all work on our own individual behaviors because that's what we can change and then work together to, to change the system so that it, it doesn't expect women to be people pleasers. Yes, exactly. So in, in the book, you speak about the, the ways that we can start trying to overcome these habits. So you speak about, you know, doing doing one thing at a time and then having having a peer group and doing peer coaching or asking other people for, for help and support. So I wonder if you can if you can touch on those tips, because I think that will really help our listeners. Oh, certainly. You know, I think that um, one of the reasons we've had so much success with this is that each habit in the book has specific things you can do to address it. But also the, uh, the last maybe third of the book presents and offers a template that can help you really deal with any habit that you believe is getting in your way. And there are, there are really four steps here. And the first one um, is take on one thing at a time. And that's, that's, I hear this all the time. Women come up to me. I mean, they, they used to back before the pandemic come up to me in hotel lobbies or in restaurants and say, I have nine habits. I don't know where to start. Uh, you always want to start with one thing. You can start with one habit or even one part of a habit. You know, I am going to talk about my contributions to this one person. I'm going to start there rather than, you know, suddenly tomorrow, I'm going to become this fantastic self-marketer. Um, it's much more realistic to start, to really start small with one thing in one situation. 
And I, when, when people ask, I always say, start with whatever is easiest um, because that will give us some success to build on if we identify with multiple habits. And then the second part of this is, is, is the most important part. And I'd say it's probably really the most important thing in the book. And that is to enlist others to help you. Marshall, my co-author here, had research from a large project he'd done that looked at 800,000 people around the globe. And what he was trying to identify was what did the people, what did the people who were able to make long-term positive, sustainable behavioral change have in common? And what they had in common, they did not try to do it alone. They uh, worked with a coach. They worked with a peer coach. Peer coaching can be enormously effective. I myself have been involved with a, the, one, uh, the same peer coach for 14 years. So we set goals for ourselves. And then we ask one another questions every day that help us understand if we've met those goals. Um, and they're very small things, often very granular. But we can also do what I call informal enlistment. And this is what I really want to advocate because this is a way of not only helping yourself, but helping to change the culture. And that is getting other people, leveraging other people in the process of your own development and growth. Okay, let me give you an example. Uh, one of the habits in the book is being concise, uh, that, that, that women often offer too much, too much information, too much background, too many details, uh, especially in cultures that really value that sort of bottom line approach that can be problematic. Uh, um, so say you've recognized that it would be of value to you to become more concise in your communications. You can do one of two things. You can tell people in advance when you're going into something, excuse me, um, I'd love your help on something. I'm working to become more concise in how I communicate. You're gonna be in this meeting with me. Would you just watch me? And if you have any thoughts for me afterwards, a way that, uh, you know, how I'm doing, if there's a way you see that I could be more concise and less wordy, would you share that with me? You can ask people this, you can ask as many people as you want this, uh, this kind of question, just getting them involved. So what you're doing there is on one hand, you're really enlisting their support um, because you're asking them to notice you and what you're doing. Um, so, so you're reaching out, it's a way of building a relationship. Remember we talked about relationships being the third this is a very simple, easy, uh, not very time intensive way of doing that. Um, you're also uh, advertising the fact that you're changing because often we're changing and in our organizations or our work teams, people don't notice. They think of us as we were before. That's how they know us. So somebody will say, oh yeah, she's the one who's so quiet in the back room, she doesn't speak up. You've been speaking up for the last couple months, but they're just thinking of you as you were. So by talking about it, you are advertising the fact that you're changing. And you're also creating a kind of situation where you're gonna 
hold yourself more accountable and be more likely to remember that this is what you're doing because you'll just see that person in the room and you'll think, okay, I'm just be concise here. How can I say that in the most um, concise way? So this is very helpful. It gives you a lot of information. It gives you a lot of support. It gives you the visibility through the advertising that you're doing. So very, very helpful. And one thing that's important about this that I always wanna emphasize is that you're gonna get a lot of advice and some of it's gonna be helpful and probably a lot of it is not gonna be necessarily that helpful. But you can always, you don't have to do it. Just because you solicited this advice, you've done your job. All you need to do is say thank you. You may wanna think about it, it may be something that you add on later. It may be something that's such a good idea you wanna get started on it tonight. But that you're the one who has the control, the power over deciding when and if you're going to add, act on this. There's one other quick thing. Um, in addition to just enlisting people to watch you, Another way this informal enlistment can work is to go to somebody who you notice is good with it. I'm working to get more concise in my communication. I notice you are really good at it. Do you have any tips for me? Is there anything you can do in preparation? There again, you don't have to do it. You're so, you solicited the idea. You may act on it later. You may not act on it. All, your only responsibility is to thank that person because... Um, uh, they said, yes, they enlisted, they helped you. And if someone says, no, I don't want to do that, fine, ask someone else. Thank you so much for that, Sally. I think that's really helpful as, as a framework. I really like um, the idea of enlisting lots of people uh, yeah. to help. And I think, as you say, it's quite a practical one. You know, we can do that on the wards. Um, if it's, you know, I need to go and speak to a patient about something and I want to do it concisely. So asking one of your colleagues, can you just come with me and see what you think? Um, and that helps because we have to do that for our training anyway, for our portfolio, we have to show evidence of things. So um, so I think this fits in in really nicely with, with that. Um, so thank you so much, Sally. It's, I, I mean, I can completely see why it's such a bestseller everywhere because it's, it's so um, important. And, you know, just reading through, I kind of felt like this book is written all about me. How do they know that I do these things? Um, and recognizing that actually, you know, some behaviors where I hadn't realized that that's what I was doing. Um, so I think it's, it's really, really helpful. Um, I'd just like to um, finish by asking you a few quick fire questions, if that's okay. So sure. the first question that I usually ask is about a book recommendation. Of course, we've spent this whole podcast talking about books and you you are yourself are an author of other books apart from How Women Rise. But are there any other specific books that you would recommend? Well, you know, uh, certainly, of course. I always recommend a book about um, my leadership journey by Frances Hesselbein, who was a, a mentor and a great inspiration to me as well as to Marshall, our book is dedicated to her. She headed up a number of nonprofits, was um, head for, in, in a very spectacular way, the, the head of the, the Girl Scouts in the United States and then the head of the Peter Drucker Foundation. She's still at it. She's still delivering some programs and she's 108. Oh, wow, uh, so that's amazing. She's even older than the Medical Women's Federation. <laughs> 
<laughs> she's quite an impressive person and she has a wonderful book about her leadership journey which i just think is is so is so powerful um for any woman to read because her focus was always on two things. Number one was service. And, um, you know, her motto was, we live to serve. Uh, so she had a very powerful way of being available for service, but also of really representing and holding herself with enormous uh, dignity as she brought others along. And, and you can, the book, because she's very specific in talking about what she did is really, really powerful. Another thing I wanna put in a plug for is a book I read in the fall, which I certainly think was the best book uh, having anything to do with leadership that was published in the last couple of years. And it's called The Heart of Business, but it is for anyone in any organization. It's not just about business. And it is by uh, Hubert Jolie, who was the CEO of Best Buy, turned it around in an extraordinary way. But it's really about how you create value by um, supporting your people, and then your people will uh, serve the clients, in, in this case, the patients, the patients' families, the community. Your people, when they feel valued and supported, will, um, will be there for the clients and that that will, the result of that, the outcome of that will be profitability. And he talks, it's interesting because he was a McKinsey person. So, you know, that's all about bottom line. And he said, it's all skewed, putting profits first, uh, always hollows out any system because, um, you know, nobody else is getting invested in. And I see a lot of that in the healthcare world right now, um, you know, focus on the systems and hollowing out a lot of institutions because they're not focused on the people. And what I like about Hubert Jolie's book, uh, The Heart of Business, is he really talks about how you do that. It's like how women rise. I think the books that are most helpful or how, you know, the question is how, how do you do that? How do you engage people on the front lines? How do you learn from them? How do you make sure that the organization is serving them so they can serve the clients, the patients, uh, the people they're supposed to serve? How do you support them in that? And there are lots of books that talk about that's necessary and we need to do that. And, you know, we need to reverse the pyramid and things like that, all very theoretical, fine. Um, but what, what we need in the world now is more specifics around how we do it because it's very hard right now. And so I think that all the, all the ideas we can get about how are helpful. And, and both Francis and Hubert's books, to me, really address the how. Thank you. Those both sound like wonderful books. So we'll definitely put links to those books and of course your books in, uh, in the show notes. Um, the next question I'd like to ask you is, is there anything you know now that you wish that you had known earlier on in your career? Oh, my goodness, there's so much. Yes. And I will tell you that it was really has to do with that visibility part. You know, I grew up in a family where you didn't talk about yourself and, you know, you expected others to notice what you did. And if they didn't, 
um, you know, they were not a wonderful person and you were and all that kind of thing. And um, I really wish I had known and understood how important it was to position yourself well, to be visible and recognize that it's very difficult to achieve your full potential if you don't invest in that. I wish I'd known that. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. My next question is, is there any advice that you have ever been given that you found really helpful that you'd like to share with others? Oh, yes. <laughs> My goodness. I remember, um, I've always liked to contribute a lot. I've always liked to speak up a lot. You know, it goes with being a writer. And, um, and I like to make my points. Again, it goes with being a writer. And Marshall uh, came up to me about 15, 20 years ago. And he's, he's a coach, you know, he's always ranked as the world's number one executive coach. And he came up and he said, do you mind if I give you some informal coaching? And I said, of course not, um, thrilled. And he said, you know, often when you speak up, you make a point, he said, why don't you ask yourself, is this really necessary? Do I need to add to this discussion? Um, instead of, am I adding too much value here? And I had, it was really, really helpful to me because I, it helped me become a better listener, a better learner and better at supporting other people. You know, as a writer, you're, you're very invested in what your opinion and your views and your thoughts are. So that was uh, a really helpful sort of almost intervention. You know, is it, is it necessary for me to say this? That was good. Thank you, that, that's, um, that's really helpful. And then my last question is a question that I am borrowing from a group of children and young people who work with the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health. So I'm a pediatric trainee and last year they interviewed people who were applying for the role of president at the Royal College um, and they asked this question and I thought it was brilliant so I asked them if I could borrow it and they very kindly said yes so the question is if you were a type of biscuit what type of biscuit would you be and why? <laughs> I think I'd be a chocolate biscuit <laughs> because <laughs> that's the kind of biscuit uh, that I would like best. I would be a biscuit that did not crumble easily so that I could dip it into my coffee or tea um, and that had some level of strength and resilience and a warm, rich, deep flavor, which is something I associate with chocolate I, there is a question I've never been asked <laughs> <laughs> yes I hadn't come across this question before and then when I heard them ask it I thought this is brilliant so I said please can I borrow it for the podcast <laughs> um thank you that sounds lovely I really want some chocolate biscuits now Sally thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak to us and for sharing everything from the book um the one last question that I want to ask you is that I can see a copy of your book behind you and I've been trying to work out what language it's in um oh you and... won't you'll never forget you'll never guess what that is up there well I heard you on another podcast saying something about having a Mongolian uh, version of the book so is it Mongolian it is Mongolian because I have never it came directly from Ulan Bator, uh, Bator that it was wrapped and it it had the return address 
And I was so astonished, this most gorgeous stamp I've ever seen. And then I opened it up and, you know, I've had a lot of translations of my books over, over the years, but I never imagined that I would have a book translated into Mongolian. So I have a whole shelf upstairs of books in Turkish and Portuguese and um, Hebrew and all kinds of languages, but the Mongolian one just, just thrilled me in a certain way. Yeah, it's lovely. And for those who are listening to the audio, um, because we're recording video as well, I've sort of seen this this copy of the book uh, behind behind Sally's shoulder. And the whole time I've been listening and thinking, <laughs> I wonder what language that is. But um, yes, I had heard you speaking elsewhere and um, and heard you mention the Mongolian copy. So I thought, I wonder if it is Mongolian. Um, so I guess correctly. But thank you so much, Sally. Um, if people want to find out a bit more about the work that you're doing or about you, where's the best place for them to find you? Sure. Uh, my website uh, is sallyhelgeson.com. And there are a number of buttons there. There's a, I, I started a Substack newsletter this um, fall, which has been doing yes, very I know. well. I subscribed. It's very good. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So there's a button there that you can use to subscribe to that. Of course, it's free. And uh, also I'm, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn and, and respond usually <laughs> to messages there. Sometimes I'm a bit overwhelmed, but uh, yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn and uh, the website, the newsletter. And, um, and uh, it's a wonderful way to keep in touch. Great. And we'll put links to all of those in the show notes. So thank you so much, Sally. And I hope that we'll see lots of women worldwide in every field and specialty rising after after reading your book so thank you so much thank you i've enjoyed every minute thank you for listening to the medical women podcast make sure to subscribe for free on whichever podcast platform you listen on so that you can automatically get our episodes if you enjoyed this episode we'd be so grateful if you could rate and review the podcast this is a brand new podcast and it would really help people to know that we exist if you're interested in joining the Medical Women's Federation, we'd love to have you. And all links to our website and social media are in the show notes. This podcast has been produced on behalf of the Medical Women's Federation by Dr. Nathana Bankram and Miss Jenna McKenzie. Our music was composed and played by Miss Kithki Bankram. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again soon.